three. Gonna step away from Leviticus for a while. I think we'll come back there someday, but I'm not sure exactly when. We're gonna do uh, starting today a four uh, sermon series set on um, giving you tools for sharing your faith. So there's lots of different ways that happens. One of the most powerful ways is a simple question: Do you know that Jesus loves you? Um, I'm gonna give you tools so that you know. We're one day closer to the end times. Jesus come back. Amen? Amen. I don't know exactly when that seven years is going to kick in. I don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back. We're getting closer. But as we get closer, and in our nation, we're on the downhill slide of culture and stuff. Amen? Amen. So I mean, that's, you look back through human history, this is the natural thing. Nations start out tough, and they get things really get great. And then on the other side, things start falling apart. We're on a downhill slide. So there's going to be more and more opportunities for people coming to us and saying, how come you how come you still have peace? How come you still have a smile on your face a lot of the time? How, how come you're different? And I want you to have tools in place to sit down with people and share Jesus with them, let it be done. Okay? So if you don't have the handout uh, for today, uh, get a hand up and we'll try and get that to you. I, I would like one of these to be in every single one of our people's Bibles. If you're online, we're going to have portions of this uh, on the screen. We've actually got it online for you. You can go on there, and thanks, Morgan, for that. You can go online, click on it. You can print it off at home. I'd like you to have this physically in your Bible, okay, so that someday, I don't know how long I'm going to be around here. Am I going to be here tomorrow? I hope so. I don't know. So I want you to have this in your Bible so that when somebody asks you about Jesus, you're going to say, well, let's see if Pastor Joe's available. No, you, you. The Bible says this is my job. I'm supposed to equip you to do the ministry. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's what we're going to. Uh, dive into in a deeper way today. So, open my Bible. Good place to start. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds upon those words be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You're our rock. You're our crucified, risen, reigning, coming again, redeemer. You're going to come and rule on the earth. Amen. Amen. So if you watch movies or television uh, nowadays, read the newspapers, watch TV news, uh, even listen to sermons and Christian teachers and denominational leaders, uh, what's the overall impression we get? I mean, the overall impression I get, and it depends on who you listen to, obviously. The sources I listen to, and I try to listen to kind of a wide variety as much as I can, the vast majority of the population either doesn't believe God exists or has a really messed up view of who he is, and hardly anyone knows that the Bible is true, and it helps you understand what's happening in the world today. Most people don't know that. So when you open the door with whatever question God gives you, that's an awesome one, Charlie. Whatever um, op door-opening thing God gives you, most of the time you're reaching out to people who don't they don't have the peace and the joy that you have. They don't understand why the things that are happening are happening now. We do. And we need to be uh, prepared and willing and eager to share that. So what do we do about it? The world around us is, uh, is needing Jesus and the Bible desperately. What do we do about it? Two things. We need to train up our children and new believers so they can trust and defend their faith. Okay, so somebody brand new says yes to Jesus. 
You don't just go, hallelujah, you're in the door. You've got to train them up and help them uh, be able to share with others. So uh, second thing is we need to train up believers like you and I. So they're ready to defend their faith and share with others who ask questions and want to know the reason for our faith. And the Lutherans are great at this, amen? Uh, no. Delights are great at this. Amen? Amen. We're going to get better at this. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's how we're going. I want to get better at it, too. So today and in the following three Sundays, I'm going to give you handouts and scripture and evidence for our faith. Now, I want to tell you that the Bible is the best, best, best thing we have for our defending our faith. Amen? Amen. So we're not, I'm, what I'm doing today is I'm not just saying we have to depend on science to show that the Bible is true. I'm not doing that. But I want you to have tools at, at hand so that people who have been indoctrinated with science saying the Bible's doofy, I want you to be able to show them that, that, that that's wrong and science agrees with Scripture. But down the line, the next two, three Sundays, I'm going to show you from the Bible also how we know the Bible is true and trustworthy. Okay. But here's where we're going to start out this morning. Uh, keep the hand out, put them in your Bibles, keep the main points in your hearts and your minds. Why? 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going to go fast today, otherwise we're going to be here until 3 or 4 o'clock. <laughs> so 2 Timothy chapter 4. Why, why? Why do I need to be in the ball, ball game here and on board with what God is doing through the next four sermons? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy. I charge you, now that's strong language, right? Heads up. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Whoa. Here's your marching orders. Here's your purpose, Timothy. This is specific to Timothy, but it's really applied to all of us who walk with Christ. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead. Someday you and I are going to stand before Christ. And I want to be able to say, Father, here's what I did. Here's how I responded. Here's what I shared. We're going to stand before him. Um, he judges the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Verse 2, he says, Timothy, who is a pastor, this is specific to him, preach the word. But this is, the next section is uh, applied to all of us. Be ready, say with me, be ready when? In season and out of season. Okay, there's a football season. If, if there were kind of a thing, it would say, be ready to play football even when the Super Bowl is done. Okay? It's not, it's not a seasonal thing. Um, you might know that you're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel today. You might know somebody's going to come and ask you questions today. You may not know it. Whether you know it or not, be ready. So say that with me. Two words. Be, be ready. ready. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I mean, I know it's always been a thing, but wow. Hmm. The stuff, and, and, and the internet obviously makes it easy for us to access who's preaching, teaching, what, all over the place. And there is a boatload of junk out there, people. And people who are famous and making millions off of the gospel, and they don't know what they're talking about, seriously. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
Folks, this is happening like crazy today. As for you, he says, always be sober-minded, uh, endure suffering, and so forth. But this is why we're doing this, because we're supposed to be ready. In season, out season. I submit to you that it is getting more and more in season as the days go by. So, so let's be ready. I, I know. Be glad you're not my wife. Okay? Because she has to sit there next to me whenever we're listening to or receiving or hearing from all these different sources. And she has to hear me go, rack up, rack up, rack up, rack up, rack up. Mm. So I'm preaching. <laughs> Our first foundation for faith and understanding of God and the things that live around us is creation in the fall. Say it with me. Creation, creation in, in the, the fall. fall. When people don't understand the world, they don't understand pain, they don't understand catastrophe, and they say, why would a good God let all this terrible stuff happen? You, There can't be a good God. You, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to foundations. Genesis means beginnings. That's where it's at. So we're going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You can just read this out loud with me. Just one verse here. In the, the beginning, beginning, God created the, the heavens and, and the earth. earth. Okay, God has always existed. Before this moment, there was no such thing as space, time, or matter. When you dig into the Hebrew, that's what it says God is making here. God begins by making space, time, and matter, and then he adds the details and the, the amazing brushstrokes to it. Heavens, stars, the earth, galaxies, everything. The beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God did uh, not evolution. Please, not evolution. Not random chance. Not aliens from another galaxy. You know why that's become so huge in the culture and entertainment today? In science? You know why scientists, the biggest, big head scientists in the world are pushing this idea now that aliens did it? You know why? Because they know that evolution is junk. It's, it's so full of holes, they're tired of defending it. So they've given up on evolution without saying that directly. Now they're going, well, evolution obviously is not the way it happened. And we don't want it to be a God thing, so alien. That's literally why they're pushing the alien envelope. Do we have evidence of aliens? No. Zero. That's why they're pushing it, because they know evolution is junk. Uh, so some evidence. I'm going to fly through these. It'll be up on the screen. It's on your hand out there. There are tons and tons of evidences from science for creation. Tons and tons. These are just what one individual uh, felt like were like the top eight. So and I'm going to fly through these. I could spend a half an hour on each one. I'm not going to. We're just going to fly. But I want. I'm going to give you websites where you can go and dig and get deeper and understand each one at a better level. Or if someone comes to you and they're really pushing the science thing and the Bible's a myth, you take them to the website and say, you want to go deep in science? Have at. Go as deep as you want. You're going to see good stuff. First evidence for creation, fossil record. There are no simple life forms anywhere in the fossil record. They still use that phrase. They're lying through their teeth. No such thing as a simple life form. Even the lowest levels show explosion of complex life. So you, wherever you find fossils, they're looking for that layer where it's simple, tiny, you know, one-celled creatures. Stop. Hold the phone. 
A single-celled organism has 100 functioning parts. Say that how many parts? 100 functioning parts. Is that a simple creature? 100 functioning parts. That's why any honest scientist is looking at evolution going, you can't randomly, accidentally have 100 living parts come together and function right now to know what to eat, what not to eat, how to eliminate it, how to get energy out of it, how to... Number two, irreducible complexity. Highly engineered systems in our bodies require all parts to be working as a whole, or none will work at all. GI system, eyes, I mean, every part of your body, irreducible complexity. The kind of thing, it can't, it can't take, it can't make one small step of evolutionary advancement here, and then the next one, the next generation. You can't, if you can't see for five million years, are you gonna survive? No, it's ridiculous, irreducible complexity. Number three, gaps in living and fossil worlds. Evidence shows distinct life forms with built-in variation. No species changes or molecule to man evolution. There is simply no evidence for any kind of change in that level. So when Darwin stopped in the Galapagos Islands and he noticed that uh, finches, their he noticed their beaks changed in size and shape because there was a drought and over years and years, their normal food supply changed. So he noticed that their beaks changed so they could eat different seeds and different bugs. They went, evolution! No, seriously. The DNA information was already in the bird for that ad adaptation to happen. Is it still a bird? Yes. Is it still a finch? Yes. It's not a vulture now, it's still a finch. Is it still a bee? Yes. Variation, adaptation within the species. And the information to accomplish that was already in the critter. Don't let people throw Darwin at you. Four, laws of probability. A chance of one small protein, you need, need uh, some proteins, are the building blocks of life, right? The single living cell. You need proteins, multiple proteins. Laws of probability, the chance of one small protein occurring by accident is one in 10 to the 260th power. That's hundreds of millions to one times three. That's even bigger than the infrastructure bill. <laughs> the original one. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, what that's saying is statistically, that's impossible. Uh, five, intelligent design. Design demands a designer. Our most sophisticated camera cannot duplicate the human eye. Even today, you got them in your phones. Get amazing cameras on your phones. Not even close to the human eye. Did the camera in your phone fall out of the sky, functioning into that device? Oh, it had amazing, brilliant designer. You still aren't willing to say that this was designed by a brilliant designer? Then you're choosing foolishness. That's, that's all you're doing. The Bible says you look at creation and you say there is no God. You're an utter fool. We have scientists winning Nobel Prizes. They are utter fools. And they will stand before God someday and they will not stand. They will kneel. They will admit, you are Lord, not I am. Number six, anthropic principle. Life on Earth is only possible within a small window of constraints. Currently, there are over 100 known unique traits that make life possible on Earth. Our moon makes life possible on Earth. 
we haven't found any other place like it in the universe so far that has a room just like that because it helps with our, um, our rotation, it helps with uh, tides back and forth so the oceans stay fresh, and just a million things. Uh, our distance from the, from the sun, you move it 1% closer, we fry and die. 1% further away, we freeze and die. The rotation of our planet, most planets who are near, that are near suns, on one side they fry, on the other side they freeze. We got this perfect rotation, so we all get to have cooler nights, cooler days. It's all perfect. There's over a hundred things like that that make life possible on Earth. So when they shoot their telescopes out there even further, they go, "Oh, we found a planet that's Earth-like." They're looking for three things that might be in the ballpark. And about um, two months later, you'll find a tiny little article buried in the newspaper that says, "Oh, oops, two of the three aren't there." any aliens, trust me, God did this once, one place, one time, one sun, one cross, one empty tomb. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Seven, information theory. Coded information like DNA requires an intelligent source. Alphabet soup never writes a book. Anybody, do they still make alphabet soup? Do they make it? Do they? Okay. So, so buy a big, like, 32-ounce can of it. Dump it on your kitchen counter. Ask mom first. Dump it on your kitchen <laughs> counter. Might a random word or two be accidentally spelled on the counter? Yes. Will there be a complete sentence? Uh, no. Complete chapter? No. Complete book? A textbook? DNA? You have a library of information in every single one of your cells. You know how many cells you got in your body? Almost as many as the infrastructure was. <laughs> you have a trillion cells in your body. A trillion. Every single one of them has a library of information. Oh, also, that's microscopic nano stuff that we can't begin to think about accomplishing. God said God did that. God did that. Eight, chicken or egg principle. Many proteins required to produce DNA. Yet DNA is necessary to produce proteins. Oh. Which came first? They need to function simultaneously for each to exist. How do you do that? How do you do that with a lightning bolt in primordial soup? You can't. You cannot. You got to. Okay. Oh, so go to, I got this off of discovercreation.org, Alpha Omega Institute. They used to come to the, the rock and Youth for Christ and Bluer. Met the people, a um, couple who were uh, college professors, atheists, and taught evolution for decades. And at a, at a garage sale, he picked up a 50-cent book off the table on how evolution was junk. He's like, I'm going to have a good laugh at this one. And he got saved and changed his life in teaching evolution is junk and Christ is real. And he said, glory to God. Glory to God. Okay, so that, go to that website for this stuff. Super, super fun. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. So, so we know God did it. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was, say with me, there was evening, and there was morning, the first what? Day. How long does it sound like that first day was? That sounds like a normal day, doesn't it? Well, that's a good thought, because the word used there, yom, the Hebrew word yom, is the same word used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, and every single time it means a normal 24-hour day. Those words, evening and morning, Every single time it's used in the Old Testament, it means a normal 24-hour day. What's God trying to tell us? Even the first day, 
didn't have sun and moon yet, just had light, but even that first day was 24 hours long. Why is that a big deal? Well, we'll talk about it here in a second. Exodus chapter 20. Oh, so I say, who cares if it was six 24-hour days? God cares. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Remember, this is from the Ten Commandments. But we didn't really focus on this aspect of it. What does it say about days? Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Huh? Oh, oh but those days are, are periods of millions of years. What do you think? What is God saying about the Sabbath? He says, I made the heavens and the earth and every all life on it in six days, and I rested the seventh day, so your week shall be seven days. People all over the world have a seven-day week, even those who don't know God, don't know the Bible, don't know anything about Yahweh. They have a seven-day week. You know why? Because if you try, and some cultures have tried to do eight days, just because they hate God and want to do something different, it messed everything up. They couldn't make it work. Their biorhythms got messed up. Everything just fell apart. They had to go back to seven. God's doing a lot of things here. One of the things he's doing is he's saying, hey, listen up. I'm God, and I'm really, really, really big. And I'm so powerful, you can't imagine. And I literally did it in six 24 hours a day. And just so you can celebrate that and rejoice in that, I designed your week to function the same way. Seven days. Everybody say glory. Glory. This is how good God is. So God blessed the Sabbath day, seventh day, and made it holy. What about the millions and billions of years? Genesis chapter 5 and chapter 11. You can go there if you want. We're not going to today. Genesis chapter 5 and chapter 11 contain clear-cut genealogies, family trees, that make it ultra clear that creation happened around 6,000 years ago. And you follow them back, 6,000, both of them. Royal palaces in Europe, you probably didn't know this. Royal palaces in Europe used to have their genealogies on the walls of their homes, their palaces. Uh, Britain had them up the longest of anybody. Tracing their family lines back to Noah. It was common. You know when they took them down? When all the rationalistic junk came out and started talking about evolution and who, who, you know, we don't want to look stupid, so they took them down. Covered them up. Used to be in every every European royal family line. It was common knowledge that you could trace your family tree back to Noah. Some back to Adam and Eve. It's in the Bible. Why not? Jesus himself was a young earth believer. Got your attention now, don't I? Mark chapter 10, verse 6. I'm going to go, I'm just going to let this show up on the screen. This is Jesus talking. He says, but from the, the what? The beginning, beginning of creation, creation, God made them male and female. Not from the millions and billions of years ago. Not from the beginning of millions and billions of years of death and so forth that evolution says we had to have. But from the beginning of creation. What happened? Beginning of creation? Adam. Eve. Jesus was younger. He didn't allow for millions and billions. Jesus also mentioned, by the way, I brought this up, those wonderful debates in my, my alma mater college, creation evolution debate. They brought me in as a conservative and they had some liberal pastors there too. Wonderful time. 
Um, talk, ask Brandon about it. Brandon got to go with you one time. He's been with you one time. I think that was it for participants. But um, Jesus also mentioned, Jesus mentioned creation of Adam. Jesus mentioned Noah and the flood. Lot and his wife at Sodom. Moses and the miracle manna. And Jonah and the whale. And every single one of those Jesus referred to as though they were real, historical, actual happenings. So I brought that up at the college debate. I said, you know, you're, you're denying creation. I said, you're arguing with Jesus. Because Jesus quoted from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 about male and female, and they shall be married and so forth. And so you're arguing with Jesus. Oh, boy. <laughs> you're just speaking truth. You're dumping the whole Bible. You're not just ratting out on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You're dumping the whole Bible. Genesis 1, 31. 1, 31. God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was, let's say with me, it was very, very good. good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. This is what people don't know. When they don't understand why things are bad now and why bad things happen, why God lets it happen, they don't understand this. God made it all 6,000 years ago in six 24-hour days when he was done. Word of chronic creation, God said, hey, you know what? This is very good. It's fantastic. It's perfect. It's just the way I thought it up. Just the way I commanded it. It's very good. You say, what went wrong? Did God plan for earthquakes and cyclones and fires and all this stuff? That was not in his design for creation. When he made it, it was very good. What in the world happened to it? Maybe my notes will tell me where to go. We go to the huge key. This is a huge, huge, huge key to help you understand You'll, now you'll understand death, you'll understand suffering, you'll understand catastrophes, and more. The key to understanding why a good God, is God good? Yes. Yes, he is. The key to understanding why a good God allows painful and deadly things to happen on a beautiful earth he created, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That was his purpose. Okay. There's different purposes at different times in Scripture. His purpose was to keep the garden and to love and obey his God, to walk with him in the garden, to work it and keep it. Verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You must you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Isn't God generous? He didn't give him 50 trees he couldn't eat from and only one he could. He gave him hundreds he could and only one he couldn't. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall say with me, you shall surely die. You go to chapter 3, verse 17. What does that look like? When Adam and Eve ate from that tree that they were not supposed to, God said, you're going to surely die when that happens. They didn't know what death was when they heard the warning. Because there was only life, beautiful, perfect life. But when it happened, God began to detail what they were going to experience. Chapter 3, verse 17. 
to Adam, God said, after the fall, after the sin and death has come, God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. This is part of the, the death that came with sin. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and say with me, to dust, dust you, you shall return. return. Why? Why are there a million different ways to die? Because sin opened the door for us. Why is there a million different ways to have catastrophes? Why, why do we have a new pandemic, a new way to die? Because sin still reigns on the planet. People want to reject God because, because of bad things on the planet. What they really don't want to do is take responsibility for their own participation. The Bible says if you and I had been Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. So we can't just dump on them. This is why we're wrestling with the stuff we do. And this is why God has a plan to bring it to an end and make a new heaven and a new earth like the original where sin is not allowed to have a conqueror and where it will be perfect forever. That's heaven and eternity. And everybody says, glory can't wait. Glory can't wait. There's a lot of people that aren't going to be in there forever. We want to help you bring them along. Every, every God, everyone that you can bring along to heaven through our efforts, our sharing, our prayers, our speaking, God, please do so. We want to bring people along to heaven. Thank you today. Go to Romans chapter 8. Just, just to be crystal clear and to help people. Because some people, even you know, a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors are just rejecting the Old Testament. Like I said, they don't know what they're talking about. They're clueless. I don't understand it. They don't. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Paul says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, this happened when Adam and Eve sinned, but because of him who, sub who subjected it, God, why did God subject it? In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Why do we have earthquakes? Why do we have storms? Why do we have fires and stuff? Because the sin of Adam and Eve didn't just impact human beings, it impacted the animal kingdom, it impacted the planet, all the universe is became. Our son is, is going to give it up someday, unless we get a new perfect one. Oh, God's got that figured out. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. But we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. Now say this with me. In, in the, the pains, pains of, of childbirth, childbirth until, until now. Say, catch that. Creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. Who's not here? <laughs> All right. creation, so when we're groaning in the pains of childbirth, what, what's in the process of happening? New life is coming forth. Creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. What is creation groaning for? New heaven and New earth has come. That's a mind blower. How, how amazing is that? How exciting is that? 
We're not the only ones saying, come Lord Jesus. Creation is too. Crying out with us. Hallelujah. So I skipped over something along the way. How did I do that? Coming online, I was supposed to do this. They can put it up there. Evidence for younger. Going to go really fast. Very little sediment on the seafloor. We, we know how much it, it builds up year after year. If we were millions and billions of years old, you wouldn't be able to float a boy ship on the ocean. There, the evidence isn't there. Two, bent rock layers. I don't know if you can put the pictures up there. This is really cool. See, that? that's a person. That's a people. That's a people to give you um, how big these are. This is down the Grand Canyon. So evolutionists, geologists say that that these layers were laid down over millions and millions of years, each one, like that six foot one, all that took millions of years to do that. Okay? So millions of years. Then how do you bend it without breaking it? That's a 90-degree bend. If it laid down for millions and millions of years and it was rock, and then you bent it, what would happen to it? It would break it shatter crack. into a million pieces. How do you bend rock like this? You have to bend it before it gets solid. Amen? Does it take a uh, Nobel Peace Prize to figure that out? You have to bend it before it gets brittle. And, gee, so so this was still bendable, this six-foot layer. This six-foot layer was still bendable. This whole section was still bendable. What is this thing screaming at you? This material get, got laid down rapidly in layers, but rapidly, and it was still wet and pliable and, and movable. And then something, some force caused it to bend, but it still bent, but it didn't shatter because it was still soft and pliable. And then it solidified into rock after the bending event. This whole thing screams, Noah's flood. Come on. Catastrophic event. What could do this kind of stuff? Only the flood of Noah. But it screams against 250 million years. A geological Evolution geologists say that this formation took uh, three or four hundred million years to be formed. Utter ridiculousness. Okay, keep going. That's bent rock layers. Soft tissue and fossils. They keep digging up dinosaurs. They're supposed to have been dead for 60 million years and still have soft tissue. Uh, red, red blood cells and stuff. Hold on to it. Please. Not, not millions. Uh, faint sun paradox. Our sun is, is dwindling, it's dying. If you go back, you can measure how, how much of its energy it's burning up. If you go back in time, there's no way it's millions and billions of years old. Uh, couldn't, couldn't still be with us. Rapidly decaying magnetic field. There's ways they can measure that. Don't ask me how they do it. But it's rapidly decaying. It's, it's drops. It drops a lot every year. So, so guys, we have, we have rocks in our heads uh, that are magnetically inclined. Well, gals, too. Do you guys have more of them? Did you know the guys have more rocks in their head? <laughs> no, don't go there. <laughs> but you go back you go back to Adam and Eve, and the magnetic field would have been so strong. Yeah. You could have asked right, Adam, you know, so which is north. He wouldn't even have needed the Maybe sun to be up. <laughs> it's amazing. But the magnetic field is declining so quickly. If you go back in time, if you go back like 100,000 years, the magnetic field is so strong. That the place would be just ripping apart. The, the planet would be ripping itself apart. There's just no way. Healing and radioactive rock. Again, you can measure that. It escapes really quickly. There shouldn't be hardly anything. The, the further down they dig, the more helium they find. It shouldn't be there. But the planet is billions of years old. 
carbon-14 and fossils, coal, and diamonds. Carbon-14 um, has a, a short shelf life. The furthest, you, you can't go, there's no way scientifically you can go past a million years and still find carbon-14 molecules. And so the, the evolutionists didn't even test this stuff because they were like, that dinosaur bone that's, that's 60 million years old, there can't be any carbon-14. And then until creation scientists start saying, well, let's just check for the fun of it. Boom. They found carbon uh, evolutionists say diamonds are the oldest substance on the planet. Billions of years old, the, the diamonds are. So they never tested for carbon because it couldn't be there. Creation scientists said, well, let's test the, the diamonds, shall we? Just, just, just for the sake of argument. <gasps> There's carbon-14 in diamonds. It's everywhere you look. The planet can't be millions and billions of years old. Scientific evidence, right up their nostrils. Short-lived comets. Very little salt in the seas. We can measure how, how much salt is in the seas every year. If you go back in time a million years, our seas would be dead. They'd all, all be like the, the dead sea in Israel. Last one, DNA and ancient bacteria. Goes on and on. There's tons more. This is just 10. Go to answersingenesis.org. There's a search, uh, um, search window there. Fantastic. Put in any question you want. And it pops up article after article after article. Science-based. It's beautiful, pure stuff. They're the folks who do the, the arcs. Answers in Genesis, they're the ones who built the arc and so forth. Fantastic. All right. I wanted to throw that out there so you have available. It's on your sheets, and you're like, well, when was it supposed to be that? A while ago, apparently. <laughs> so we're going to finish with John 3.16. Because when you go through this, when you start in Genesis, you go, creation is perfect, it's very good. And then we blew up with our sin. And then we, we, we opened Pandora's box to all this terrible expression of death. Why does God still have to allow uh, death and, and all this stuff? Because it has to be consequences. It has to be negative. It has to be painful. It has to be for us to say, this is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. God, why? And then God can say, because of your sin, I've got a plan for you. It's not going to happen. He can say yes to your sacrifice. And then in the end, I'll give you Could have said Adam and Eve, oh, you blew it. There's only two of you. I'm going to rub you out and start over. He could have done that. He said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to love you. I'm going to save you this way. For God so loved the world. Still loves us today. He's not. He's not mean. He's not a jerk. He has to allow our sin to have its consequence, so we know this isn't right. So it draws us to Him. And so God loved the world so much he gave his only son, Jesus. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not what God's doing when he sent him. not condemning the world. He sent Jesus in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why. That's the God that this, this people, this country, the world has ever known going to know unless we open doors to conversation, unless we have resources readily available, unless we pray and ask God, God, send me people I can have conversation with. God, I've been praying for so-and-so for a long time. Would you draw us into a, a spiritual conversation, a God conversation? Would you open the door and let me know when I can? So let's say, let's say, be praying in those things. God, give me opportunities. God, help me to notice the opportunities. 
help me not to blow it. And I'm not saying that the stuff I'm presenting today is going to be for every single person that God sends your way, but it could, and it might, and I want you to be prepared. I want you to be solid in your own faith, because sometimes you're watching a movie, and they take a shot at your faith, you're like, gee, I don't know exactly how to ask that question right now, and, and see the doubt gets, no, 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 no. You got it. God gave it to you. God, we're asking for it. Um, help us to pursue relationships, friendships, to pursue people with love and care for them. Send people our way that we're not expecting. We don't realize the conversation is going to happen. God, give us, if we're going to commit to rise up in more boldness. So give us our question. Maybe Charlie's in, works for me. Maybe you've got a different one. God, that if we're wanting to get closer to the trumpet blow, we want to see people come after us. And help us to train up our children so that their faith is strong and can stand the junk that gets thrown away in school by other, other kids or by professors in college and all that. God, help us to doubt proof our kids. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way, God. We love you. We want to glorify your name until that trumpet blows. In Jesus' name we Amen. Let's all together. I think the tune is singable here. We might have sung this maybe once before or something. Then we don't earth end all stars. If you don't mind, I want to grab your hymnals. Number 10 in front. Earth and all stars. Okay. We're going to do verses 1, 2, 3, and 5. 1, 2, 3, and 5.
Lord, look upon you with his favor. Keep you in his perfect peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.